Um, I'm really excited about uh, talking this morning about the table of memory. And before we do that, I want to offer a word of prayer. So would you join me? We stand in awe of your presence, humbled by your sacrifice, humbled um, by the love that, that you have extended to us in your son, humbled that you would entrust us with your very own spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Greater is the one who is in us than the one that is in the world. So this morning, we just celebrate that. We come to give you thanks. We come to remember stories of deliverance, stories of rescue. We come to remember the greatest story of rescue about a God um, who left everything, who left privilege, who left a glory to come and rescue us, the least of these. So thanks. Open our eyes to the text this morning that we might see you in a new light once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Memory is a fascinating thing. Um, about a year ago, I saw this TED Talk. Everybody familiar with TED? It's like an online conference um, that's hosted uh, annually and um, they get experts to get up and, and, and speak and share. And so they had this, I think he was a Czech man, um, who talked about memory. And there is a memory competition uh, that's held and has been held since the early 90s. Um, and in this competition, there's like 10 different events. It's like the Memory Olympics. Anybody ever heard of this before? The Memory Olympics? Okay, a couple of you. Of course, Mark Leonard has. Um, so... One of the things they do is they take a deck of cards, and this is just the one that stood out to me because I was like, there's no way. And then when I was doing my sermon prep, I got completely sidetracked for like an hour and a half and actually tried to start doing it. And it, and it, I, it worked. Like if I would train it, I think I could actually do not as fast as they did. But what they do is they take a deck of cards, okay, not the joker, um, and they take this deck, and one of the competitions is they look at the deck of cards, Right? And they memorize the order of the deck of cards. Impressive, right? Just to memorize an order. How long do you think that would take you if you were to try to memorize a deck of cards? Like all year long, 52 weeks, right? It's like every week you memorize a new one. Week one, it's the two of diamonds. Week two, it's the five of diamonds. How, how long would you guess the Guinness Book of World Records, the, the memory record for memorizing a deck of cards is? Somebody said five minutes. Five minutes, okay? Other guesses. 20 seconds? I can't even get through a deck in 20 seconds. Tie me. Fat thumbs. Okay. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it was 21 seconds. All right? So they, they took the deck and they went... I, can't, I really can't get through it in 21 seconds. And that's the world record. Now, before that, a number of people had hit 30, 35, um, but this 21-second record. Um, and we go, how in the world would somebody do this? 
How in the world could you possibly memorize uh, an entire deck of cards in 21 seconds? Another record that's, I think, almost as cool um, is the record for the most decks of cards memorized. The most decks. So not just one, and this is not a speed competition, but the most decks of cards. I think maybe they got a day or something. And there was a guy, there's a guy, his name is Dave Farrow. He's the current memory champion. And he memorized, think to yourself, how many decks could somebody potentially memorize? Dave Farrow broke Dominic O'Brien, who was this Englishman, like eight-time champion. He broke his record of 54 decks with a new record of 59 decks of cards memorized. It took him 14 hours, and then it took him nine hours to recall it. It's crazy. This is just craziness. Now, you should go watch this TED Talk. I, I'll post it um, on our Facebook or something. Um, so ask, if you don't have Facebook, ask a friend that does. Uh, but the, the thing that people who have these amazing, amazing memories say, you know what they say? It has nothing to do with, with a gift for memory. They say, anyone could do this with enough practice, with enough training. And I know you're going, there's no way. There's no way I could do that. Um, they say memory isn't something you actually lose. It's just a muscle that if you don't exercise it, uh, it, it basically you know, gets soft. So I know some of you are going, no, no, you're not old. You don't know. I mean, I'm old, but you're not old enough to understand what happens. I'm just telling you what, what the experts told, what, what I learned this week. Memory isn't something that goes away as you get older unless you stop exercising that muscle. Then it gets lost. But here's the fascinating thing about memory. All of these people have variations of a similar technique. They translate the card, which is a number, and numbers are incredibly hard to remember. They translate the card to what? An image, a picture. They make this, this leap. So the two of diamonds. One guy said, um, diamonds for me is four. So I think of a four and a 42. So he makes the jump from the two of diamonds to a 42. And then I think about what the f- number 42 is. So I actually did this this week. <laughs> um, and I did it with the spades, which I said, okay, a spade is a one. And um, the ace of spades is going to be 11, right? And so I thought, what image comes to my mind when I think of an 11? And I, the more bizarre the image, the better. And so I thought of two dancing snakes, and then they say, "What you guys follow me, okay? This, there is a point here." <laughs> and then they said, "You have to place that image in a setting that you know well, or or in a setting that you're going to be able to trace." They call that your mind castle. Okay, so my mind castle, and there are ten places in my mind castle, is our church office building. All right, so I go into the church office. Uh, and I look to the right, which is Rachel's desk, and there I see my image. Now, for 15, which, was, which would be the uh, four of spades, I'm sorry, the five of spades, for 15, my image was a mini quinceañera, right? A Mexican coming-of-age party. And so um, if I could easily remember 20 digits, 
It took me one minute. It took me one minute using this technique. The two things that are key in memory are image and place. And I walked down the office. Rachel's desk is the first place. The little black table is the second place. The third place is the copy room. The fourth place is my office, then Greg's office, then Beth's office, then Mario's office, then Scott's office, then Debbie's office, and then the closet at the very end. And all these numbers I pictured engaging with the people in their office. So at one point, the 11 was in Mario's office, and he was freaking out because there were snakes. And I could remember it because there was an image connected to it. You get what I'm saying? Memory is a fascinating, fascinating thing. And over and over and over in the scripture, there are calls for us to remember. Now, here's something else that's interesting. Socrates said 3,500 years ago that he was worried about people being able to remember. Why? Well, because they started writing everything down on papyrus. He said, once you start writing it down, you're basically outsourcing your memory. Anybody here ever look anything up on Google? That they're like, I think I know the answer to it. We outsource our memory all the time, right? I got to Google that. I do this all the time. And I just say, oh, I have a bad memory. Is it that I have a bad memory or that I haven't given what these memory champions say is integral to memory? Effort an intention. You got to try, you got to get creative, and you have to be intentional about what you want to remember. Now, when we engage in memory, um, there's something really cool that happens when we engage in memories. How many of you, when you think about a memory, it's a word that you remember? Not, we don't remember words. Or it's like a number. Man, the number 1073 is just like, I think about it, it's just a great number. No, you think about an image or a place. And when we engage in memory, there's this kind of magical thing that happens. Um, The Catholic Church believes that when we engage in the table of memory, that Jesus' real presence is, is here. We would say it's a spiritual presence. But either way, when we engage in memory, we're reliving something that happened in the past. It's almost like time travel. When we remember things, it's like we're bringing them to the present, to remember is to bring the past to the present table so as to shape future ones. When you and I engage in this process of remembering, we're bringing the past to the present. Not so we can sit and romanticize about the past, so we can remember and then shape the future. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 22. Verse 14. Prior to that, Jesus has uh, this sort of premonition or somehow knows um, that there's going to be a man who's going to have a room prepared. We're not sure how he knows, but he tells his disciples, I want you to go into the city, and there's going to be a man, and and I want you to tell him um, that we're coming. We're coming to celebrate the Passover. If you remember the first week of our study on the Lord's Table, Pastor Scott talked about who is hosting this meal, and we said God is hosting the meal. And who's invited? Everyone's invited. 
Everyone's invited. Rich, poor, black, white, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, um, addict, non-addict. You know, everyone is invited to God's table. And so Jesus says this in 22 verse 14. When the hour came for them to celebrate this feast, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Now, it wasn't a table like this. Uh, in the Middle East, people commonly eat on the ground. And um, th- there's a, you know, a smallish table with, um, with the food on it. And then there was often a common dish that, that they would dip in and, and share the food together. And bread acts as almost like a spoon or a utensil, right? You're scooping stuff up with the bread. And so they recline at this table. And he said to them, and I want you to underline this in your Bible, verse 15. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. I have, here's what it, the actual translation is, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover feast with you. Underline that in your Bible. I have eagerly desired and ask yourself, when you come to the table, is that the sense that you come with? This is what I did for myself this week. Do I come with eager anticipation to relive this event? Jesus says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks. Now, uh, two quick notes about this. Uh, In the Jewish Passover, um, sometime after the first century, there were four cups that were offered at a Passover meal. And each cup stood for something different. And in a minute, we'll get to what they stood for from Exodus 6. Um, But this is the first one. This is the one that acknowledges that God is the deliverer. God is the one who delivered them. And notice what he does. I just want to make a real quick like off-ramp here. We're going to get off and talk about something that doesn't necessarily have to do with this. When, when we pray, this is just like a pet peeve of mine. When we pray before our meals, I never understood why people ask God to bless the food. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And again, this is off-topic. If you're going to eat at McDonald's, ain't no way God is going to bless your french fries. They're going to do your body some damage. If you eat the whole thing of supersized french fries, Mario, it's going to do your body some damage, okay? Jesus doesn't do that with food. He doesn't ask God to bless it. The blessing isn't toward the food because God has already blessed you with the food. Where does the blessing go? Arriba. Right? To God. Thank you for this food. So please, this is just like a little pet peeve. I did this in youth group too. I would rant for you know, 15 minutes about this. Because I think it's so important. Because every meal you have the opportunity to bless God. To say thank you. You provided for me this meal. You provided for me this, this bucket of chicken in front of me. Wow. There's a lot of chicken. Thank you. Okay. So Jesus gives thanks after taking the cup. He doesn't say, God, bless this juice and somehow do something magical. He says, no, thank you for this cup. 
because of what it represents. When I drink it, it, it represents your deliverance. Thank you. You're a God who delivers. He celebrates. He doesn't say somehow do something like magical and bless this cup. He blesses the giver of the cup. He blesses the deliverer. Do you, do you feel the difference in your heart when you say bless God? It's like we're going to him with requests. Verse saying like going to him with praise. Thank you for this cup, he says. And take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, until Jesus has died and his spirit has been poured out. He knows this is the last time and he was eager. He couldn't wait to celebrate this meal. And then this. He took bread and gave thanks. Right? God, thank you. You're the deliverer. Thank you. And saying, this is my body given for you. Here's the key. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I I was reading this going, he could have said a lot of things here. All right? He could have said a lot of things. He could have laid out a significant, like, theological discourse. He could have laid out, like, the mission for his disciples. And he says, Remember. Remember. The Jewish philosopher, Abraham Joshua Heschel, says, to believe is to remember. Because unlike other philosophies, um, the whole belief in, in Yahweh and the Trinitarian God for us is based on things that actually happened, actual events not a, not a system. Something happened inside of people's hearts and minds. Something happened to a real people who were enslaved. They were delivered. And so to remember is to believe. To believe is to remember real things that happened. Turn with me to Exodus 6. Exodus 6, verse 6 through 8. Uh, the four blessings that are offered at this meal come from this passage, Exodus 6, verse 6 through 8. I don't want to go through all of them right now, only to highlight the second one when Jesus offers the second cup. It says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The second one here. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. The second cup is about deliverance. And Jesus says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to celebrate with you God's deliverance. I couldn't wait to go tell the story one more time about God's deliverance. Because Jesus knows this thing. When we forget Where we've come from, we lose sight of where we're going. He knew for Israel that if they forgot the story of God's deliverance in their life, they would lose sight of the fact that God will deliver them again. These are people, remember, who are enslaved. They're they're, um, hostage to the Roman Empire. And they're sitting and waiting, and Jesus says, he reminds them again and again, hey, remember, remember, 
He delivered you then. Of course he's going to deliver you again. Of course he is. I remember um, years ago I went to uh, Calvin Seminary with um, a bunch of youth leaders, our interns at the time. I think there were four of us that went. And um, it was in like January, just, you know, kind of a rough time to be in Michigan. But, you know, we suffered for the sake of the gospel. And we were at, it's called the Worship Symposium. And one of the breakout sessions, there was a guy from South Africa. He was, I think, Episcopalian. And he was sharing um, that he lived through apartheid. And he remembers when his congregation, like ours, um, when uh, apartheid was enacted, and people, their church was uh, mixed race, they had black and white, uh, rich and poor. He remembers um, the Sunday when they came and all the black people from their congregation had been basically moved out of the city to an area on the outskirts of the city. And he remembers they just kind of sat in, in shock and, and wondered, like, what do we do? What do we do about this? He told the story about what they did that I thought was really heroic. Um, once, once they figured out how to get the people from where they were back to their congregation, they decided they didn't want to forget this injustice. They didn't want to forget it. And so they built something in their congregation. I think it was like a mosaic, right, Mario? It was like a mosaic on the side of their church. So every Sunday when they gathered, they would remember what the government had attempted and that they weren't going to have any part of that. You see, it takes energy and effort. It takes intention to remember. It's not always easy to remember. Um, This was a rock. I, I... Jim Nidham is a guy from our church who was a youth leader for many, many years and taught me a ton. And one of the things he taught me was to pick up big rocks. And this is not one that I picked up, but a student picked up for me. But I remember we were driving through this Mexican creek bed one time, and Jim Nidham stops in the middle of this creek bed, and he's like, that's a good one. I'm like, what are you talking about, that's a good one? We're in the middle of a creek bed. He's like, that's a great rock for you. I'm like, that thing is huge. That's like a 60-pound rock. He's like, put it in the van, you know? So anyways, I didn't bring that one this morning. But I picked up this massive rock and put it in the van. And we did get it across the border without claiming it. Please don't cite me on that. But um, this was one that I had a student who went to Greece. And um, he took this rock back for me. And I put it in my yard. And I wouldn't think about this student every week unless this rock was right in front. You know, it's right in front of my steps when I walk into my house. And now I think about him like every week. And what I think about, I remember a scene when he was in sixth grade and I was at a retreat with him and he and two other young dudes were in my like chest right here, bawling, bawling because of the disconnect with their fathers. Okay. These are sixth grade boys weeping because they think their dads basically hate them. Right, and so um, I remember, I remember having to wash my shirt because it was so gross because they were like snotting, and and I remember this young man, and I remember that moment, and it's one that is powerful for me because I realized in this moment that God wants to be a father to the fatherless, and so this little rock with very little effort and energy placed before my steps when I walk into my house, 
continually reminds me. It takes energy and effort. And Jesus knows that if we forget the past, if we forget what God has done, if we forget the past, we lose sight of what's to come. Second thing, uh, turn with me in your Bible to Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 14. This is after Israel is delivered. Okay? So kind of three time periods here. Um, That Exodus passage is right before God delivers them from Egypt. Now he's delivered them from Egypt, and he's bringing them to the land, uh, the land that he's promised them. And he says this, again, when you have eaten and are satisfied in this new land, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And be careful that you do not what? Chase other gods? Be careful that you don't Say it loud. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Why? Well, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build the houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, basically, otherwise, when you, when you make it, when you become successful at what you're doing, you your heart might become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Right? When we forget what God has done, we become disconnected from what he's doing. How many of you would say at some point in your life you've experienced some level of success? Something. You're also modest. Right, you were a successful, um, maybe you won the friendship games at RCS as a, as a student or as a coach. Or you won the spirit award at the friendship games. Maybe you had a successful team that you were on, right? What, what is our tendency when we experience some level of success is to go like, I did it, like I made it, right? And you guys probably don't have this. This is just the thing I go through. Um, but you know, I'll even talk a little trash to the people that I beat at whatever, you know, which is like Scott and Mario at whatever, anything we play. Right? I'm just like, right, Mario and I sometimes play, don't think this is all we do, okay? But sometimes we'll, we'll like take 10 minutes and we'll play this little Nerf game and I'll be like, I'll sink a bunch of shots. I've been on fire recently, to be honest with you, like me and Kobe, like, and right, and with a little bit of success, now I'm kind of like, man, I did this. It's because I practiced hard. It has nothing to do with the fact that I have air in my lungs, lungs that I didn't produce or create, a heart that continues to beat, muscle memory that I don't even know how it works. And so we develop this little arrogant thing inside of us with a little bit of success. And so um, what is the anecdote for this? The anecdote for pride is memory is to remember. And so that's why, that's why the writer of Deuteronomy says, hey, when you have this success, do not forget the Lord. Don't forget about where you've come from. Don't forget about what God has done in your life. Don't forget about how he has delivered you because if we forget what God has done, we become disconnected 
from what he's doing now in other people's lives and maybe even in our own. Third thing, turn with me to Judges 8, 10 through 14. You see this picture again and again, right? Now Israel has been in the land and they've raised up these warriors um, called the, the judges. These are people who are kind of supernaturally gifted. Um, they're, they're very charismatic leaders. Gideon's kind of a little dude, but he's like got this, this power, right? He's, he's an incredible leader and he's brought people to God. They've tried to like make him more than that, but he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want it. I want you to, to look to God. I want you to look to heaven. And so Gideon continually is pointing the people to God and pointing them to, to, you know, to what he has done. But then he dies. And so listen to what happens in Judges 8.33. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. No sooner had he died than they prostituted themselves to the Baals. That's spelled wrong. When we forget whose we are, we whore ourselves out to the next in line. And I asked Scott this week, can I say that in church? He's like, it's in the Bible. That's what it says, right? No sooner had he died than the Israelites prostituted themselves out This is what the entire book of Hosea is about. Read the book of Hosea sometime. And the refrain is, remember, remember, remember what God has done. When we forget whose we are, when we forget who we've been bought by, when we forget what God has done in the past to get us to where we are, when we forget that, we, we settle for like all these other things. These false gods, we settle for success. We settle for what people say about us. We settle for stuff. Ugh. What a bunch of awful idols. You know what they're going to leave you feeling? Empty. I think it's Psalm 116 says, when you chase those things, you become like them. And what are they? They're lifeless. And so when we forget whose we are, we prostitute ourselves out. To all these other lifeless gods, these things cannot satisfy. These things that are very far from being a fountain of living water that flows into us and through us. And so here's what we want you to do, church. Here's what we're asking you to do. Last week, when we did this communion where people walked up here, and if you weren't here, you missed out. It was powerful. People walked to the front, to the elders who served the Lord's Supper. And I was sitting in that, that um, pew right there behind Carol, and something happened in me when I was watching you all walk down this aisle because I wish for a week I could lend you, um, you know, my eyes and ears so you could see and hear some of the beauty of what God is doing in this community. And I was just watching person after person, like faithful servants of God who are undergoing a lot, who have undergone a lot, say um, in that act, Christ's body and blood is for me. And I humble myself and recognize that his body and his blood are to 
claim me as his own, his child, his daughter, his son. And I thought about their pain and their suffering, the challenges, the things that that they're asking God to deliver them from. And I just started bawling in my pew, man. You know when something hits you like that and you just got to... And the beauty of it. And the reason I know what what's going on is because I've heard their story. I've heard them share in a room somewhere what it is that God is doing in them or what it is that they long for God to do or how they feel dead inside right now and they just hope for that fountain of living water or the depression that they walk through or the addiction that they walk through or the anxiety that they feel or the numbness or the cynicism And so in that moment, seeing all of those people, and there was one little girl who walked down, and Scott mentioned in his sermon, you know, even when we're angry, God says, my body is broken for you. And one little girl walked down, and I know her story. And when she took that bread and that juice, and and I just felt God's love for her, like he just wanted her to know that she is his. And so here's what we're asking you to do this week. You got to tell those stories. They say about memory, if you don't use it, you, you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. So we want you to tell three people, tell three that you're free. Tell three that you're free. Tell them a story of how God has worked in your life. Hold up your stone and show them how God has worked in your life. Did he, did he rescue your business when it was in financial despair and you had nowhere else to turn and so you turned to him? Somebody came in my office three weeks ago and said, I don't know where else to turn. And I was like, perfect. God has prepared this person's heart. He said, you need to turn to him. You need to bring this to him and dare him to work in your life. Maybe your marriage is a, like a place where it's like crumbling and you don't know where else to turn. And we say, get on your knees. And maybe you've had those moments in your marriage or you've had that moment in your business or you've had that moment in your family where God has delivered you and we're asking you to tell the story. We're desperate for stories of deliverance. We want to tell stories. Jesus says, I have eagerly, I have eagerly desired, I have with desire desired to I can't do more. I just can't wait to tell the story of what God has done. That's why when you come back from a mission trip, you're just amped because you've like tuned yourself, right, to see God at work. And then you see it, and then you just got to tell somebody. Or if this week you're kind of like, Nick, it's not where I am. I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering the stories from the past. I know right now I'm just in like a world of hurt. I'm in a world of, I'm not even really sure where I am. Then I want you to take this step and ask three people in your life. Ask three to help you be free. Mario mentioned this morning, you know, we had a prayer time and, and we're sharing with each other, hey, I need freedom here in my life. Tell three you're free or ask three to be free. That's what we're asking of you. It's great if it's around the table and you can get a picture of it and send it to us. If not, that's okay. 
And maybe you say, I don't have three. I just have like one person that I could think that I would trust to share this story with. That's fine. It just free rhymes with three. So I used it. Tell one, have some fun, whatever. <laughs> Tell the story of how God has, has, has brought you freedom. You know, a pregnancy that you were in, in the depths of despair. And then, you know, maybe God did something awesome through that. Like years later, I have some friends in Michigan who God has done some awesome stuff through them. Even though I remember clearly their pain five years ago. Tell those stories. If you're a grandparent, tell those stories to your grandkids. They may look like they're checked out. Tell it anyways. Tell it for yourself. Tell it for your heart so you believe. To remember is to believe. Set up stuff all over your house. You know, what do they say in Deuteronomy? Put it on your door frames. Put the, the Torah on your door frames. Carry it on your foreheads. Now people started getting weird and actually carrying stuff on their foreheads. You know, this is a rock from Rehoboth and um, Rehoboth, New Mexico. It's the sandstone. I think it's red. Is it red? Colorblind? It's okay. It's brown maybe. But, um, you know, story this week of, of my um, sister-in-law's mom-in-law fell 35 feet and she didn't break a bone. And she's going, I don't know why God, why I didn't, I should be dead. Homegirl is going to tell that story. She put pictures on Facebook already, right? She's telling that story. I don't know why God saved me, but he did. And I trust that he's good. I want to invite the elders up, and I want to invite my friend Jace up a minute. Jace has got a story. He's just going to kind of demonstrate how to do this. He's kind of like, I don't know exactly how to do it. And like, well, you got 500 people at the river that we don't always know how to do it either. It's okay. You just start. Just open your mouth and you tell how God has delivered you, how he's freed you. I have no memory. And anyway, there's one day in my life that I do remember. Um, I spent many, many, many years addicted to drugs and alcohol and, you know, that world that comes with that <clears throat> I was in. And you know, growing up in a Christian home, it's very difficult to, you know, you're, you're always torn, you're never satisfied, you're never happy, because you know inside this is not right. And as I got older, I got very sick, and physical problems put me in the hospital a few times. The key, I believe, in this whole quick little story is what God did to me one day. Just one day, there's was, there was tons of things that happened. You know, leading me towards these things. But anyway, I was laying, I had an apartment, I had a job, I was sobered a few years, and, but I was never satisfied, never happy, never, no peace. No, um, <laughs> it's difficult. Um, I was laying in this apartment that I had, I had no furniture, I'm just laying on the floor. And I just said, I'm done. I don't know what it was, there was a prompting. This is, the, this is why I believe this is so, this is why I call it a miracle. Because there was a prompting in me, there was something that just, Bored me, and it never happened before. I, I understand that you know there's ways to get sober and there's ways not, and there's many methods. And but this method was the Holy Spirit method. This is how I describe it. I hit the floor. Um, something happened that day. It was a Wednesday. I don't have a memory, and I mean that. I, I, I forget so much. Um, but I remember this day, this Wednesday, and my life changed in the sense that this addiction, this thing that manipulated me, controlled me held me 
uh, man, that's pretty. Um, it was gone. It was lifted. I, I know programs. I understand programs. And I understand these things. And this stuff doesn't really happen. I don't. I mean, it happens to some people. This happened to me. There was something spiritual that happened. So I consider it a miracle. Um, <laughs> to know me at that time and to see the change is is um, truly one hundred percent. God giving. This is God breathed. This is God, Him doing, Him doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that, and, mm. that, and that's what it was. Um, so from that day forward, there, there's really there's a lot of work. I'm a mess still to this day. And this is you know this has been a long time since this happened. But this compulsion to drink and use and, and these these things has been removed. A lot of things have changed in my life. I have a wife now. You know things. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but I must say, I must say, I, uh, he had a purpose for my wife. He had a purpose mm. for everything. And, and, and it just came through. And if we don't remember these things, I remember this. We talked about this. I says, I got to go up there and just, you know, talk with Nick. And she's like, just tell him what, you know. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't know what to say. Um, the point is, I haven't forgot that day. And I won't forget that day. I won't forget what God did. He did it all. I did nothing. I was a mess at trying to fix myself. He came down. He fixed me. This is the importance of what I'm saying. It's all him. Yeah. It's all him. I kind of get wound up a little bit here mm. because it is so powerful and it is. So hold on to hope. Mm. God comes and he does change. He does move. And uh, don't forget. Mm. Let me pray. Yeah. And so God, we do say that you are higher than any other God. You're the God who delivers. And we remember that today. We come to your table this morning to remember, to remember how you've delivered us. We trust that even as you have delivered us, you will continue to deliver us. We love you and we bless you for your sacrifice. We thank you. We honor you. We bless you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.